These are Grindstaff Publishing Audio Files. Room to Rome, Chapter 10, Chechnya. Autumn was in full swing in southern Poland and I was heading southwest. Like all of my mornings in the dank hostel in Krakow, it began prematurely with a nasal-fueled goings-on of a large fellow across the room. With a train to catch, I was thankful for the awakening, grabbed my things, and hit the streets before seven. Grabbing my usual breakfast from a convenient market, I made my way to the central station and boarded the first train. Surprised at how nice a train car was, I sat back and read my new book, while the orange and red leaves on the trees flashing by the window made me feel like I was in some kind of independent film. After a bit of a layover, I boarded the second train. This one was not nearly as nice as the first, but decent as far as trains go. Traveling by train is such a romantic affair, especially whilst traveling in Europe. Something about getting on a large mechanical snake and winding through the countryside watching the trees and houses and people flash by adds to the air of mystery of the land. There is no worry about where you are going because you are on rails, and when a book is in your lap and coffee touches your lips and the car is rattling, all is good in the world. The last layover was at a small town in the Czech Republic and I had forgotten they used different currency, and I tried to buy a sandwich from a market and the lady gave me a questioning glance like this had never happened before. I exchanged a small amount of money and gave her the kind she wanted and boarded the last train. Walking on, I found a seat and smiled at how nice the cabin was. It felt like I was sitting on an airplane. I made myself comfortable and began to relax when the ticket lady came by and asked to see my ticket. Scanning it with her eyes, she politely told me I was in first class with a second class ticket and I had to go two cars ahead. Feeling a bit embarrassed, I smiled, grabbed my things and went to the correct car. I was not alone. The car next to the first class one was a food car, and the car after that was second class. It was completely full. There were people standing in the aisles in that car, and people had spilled out into the connector piece between cars, some sitting while others stood. Being slow to realize it, I finally came to the obvious conclusion that they had oversold the tickets on the train to make more money, and I had to stand. I tried to make the best of it and sit in the alleyway, but whenever I did, the waitresses had to walk to and from cars, so I had to stand back up and then down, then up again, until finally I stood the rest of the way to Bjorno. The train finally made it to our destination, and we all spilled out onto the platform, each person zigzagging here and there in a frenzy. Hungry, tired, and annoyed about the decreasing quality of the train over the past few hours, I found the Trusty McDonald's logo, ate and used their Wi-Fi to properly locate my hostel. It had begun to rain as I walked out of the restaurant and made the trek to my hostel just outside the main square. Just as darkness began to set in, I found my home for the next two days and ascended the stairs. As I was checking in, I heard a deep bass thumping from below me. I must have looked questioning because the guy behind the counter told me the hostel was attached to a dance club. It was only a Wednesday, so it shouldn't get too loud. After securing payment, he led me into a large open room with eight guys talking, playing cards, and on their laptops. We all said our hellos and I was ready to choose my bunk when the guy began opening two large doors at the far end of the room. No, my friend, you're in here, he said and showed me in. The room was massive as far as hostels go, and I had it all to myself. The front desk guy left me, and I began unpacking and making myself at home. The next morning I woke forgetting I had been alone in the room and not having been tormented by that incessant snoring of the previous days. On the train from Krakow, I decided to start a new writing regiment in order to make progress on a book I had started but not yet finished the previous winter. 
My idea was to have my fingers typing on the book each morning at 8, and it was now 10 till. I snuck past my sleeping comrades in the other room and placed my tablet on the table in the center of the kitchen. Words began to flow and I was happy. Time flew by and an hour and a half snuck past me without feeling it as used-to-be sleepers from the room beside me came in for their morning coffee. We talked about what there was to do in Bjorno, and not long after, I found myself walking toward the city center with a vague idea of what my day held. I did my usual meandering up and down random side streets, admiring the architecture of a new country and listening to the new accents I'd only heard briefly on my way to the hostel the night before. One of the strangest structures I had noticed since arriving in the town was a strangely phallic object near the center of the open public square. After talking to some of my hostel companions, they told me it was an astronomical clock which looked like a great big black dick. Walking closer to it, the guys were right. Standing tall, maybe 15 feet, the granite obelisk is definitely a strange sight. On the side of the giant thing, there is a diagram on how to read the clock, but only a couple of the many around the thing said they could actually read the time. It's about 5 to 11 when I was there, and there was a large group gathering around the so-called clock. I asked a fellow American tourist what was happening, to which he replied, I guess at 11 it shoots out a giant glass marble. The man shot me an unimpressed look, and we waited for the big moment. The clock struck 11, and everyone became giddy with anticipation. Soon a large glass sphere came clinking out onto the cobblestones and a young guy grabbed it and held it up with glee. I hurried over to get a closer look and wasn't too impressed but glad he was and the crowd dispersed everyone going their own way a bit disappointed but snickering. Music was playing in the square on the other end from where the astronomical clock was located and the Chinese flag was raised and dancing girls with hair pulled back into ponytails moved their bodies in synchrony with the music. They had food for sale and I bought soup and some hors d'oeuvres and watched the dancing for a bit then continued on my random wanderings. Soon I found the Sherlock Holmes pub, a small English style pub with a visage of Sherlock Holmes with his meerschaum pipe and deersucker's cap positioned above the door. Feeling up for a beer and free Wi-Fi, I found my way inside, ordered a large mug of dark beer and sat on the second floor. Searching for things to do, I found I was basically on top of Europe's second largest ossuary. Interested, I finished my beer and crossed the street to the Church of St. James. Near the base of the large church was a staircase with signs for the Bjorno Ossuary, pasted all over it, and I descended. I bought a ticket and grabbed the typewritten tour guide and walked amongst the piles of bones from some 50,000 persons. The guide said their deaths ranged from the medieval plague to victims of the Thirty Years' War. The museum was arranged in a way which resembled a sort of labyrinthine shrine. The first stop along the tour was down a dank corridor with bones on all sides, candles lining the pathway and eerie music playing on speakers above. At the end of this macabre alley lay around 50 skulls stacked upward, some adorning holes upon their shining bone while others bore a deep red tinge. With no one else in the museum, the ambiance worked its magic and made me feel confronted with mortality, something easy to happen when confronted with a pile of skulls looking back at you. Turning around and heading toward the rest of the ossuary, I came into an open room with bones arranged in a sort of vase-like column with gold statues of thin men scattered here and there. The gold tint of the lights in the room made the entire scene feel as it should, creepy and isolating, yet not in a frightening way. As I ascended back to the streets of the living, I was glad to have stumbled upon the unique museum and it made me anxious to get to the catacombs of Paris, one of the few things I had planned on seeing before I had even left America. While I was in the pub, I also found the Bjorno Castle, or Spielberg Castle, was close to the market square. From its vantage point on the top of a tall hill, I could see all around the city of Bjorno, not only its downtown area. Like so many times before, I walked as far as I could until I was met with an entrance fee and backed off. 
I spent time photographing the beautiful trees in their full autumnal glow and took in the sights of the surrounding area. Making my way back into the town square, I heard more musicians playing. Some were groups of five with violins and cellos playing classical music, while others were a kind of percussive marching band. Everyone sounded great, and it was pleasant to see the youthful energy behind the shining instruments. I wandered around a part of town I hadn't yet explored and found a movie theater playing some films in English and decided to keep with my trend of watching movies to give myself a bit of normalcy for a couple of hours. After the film, I grabbed a Turkish kebab, bought a scarf, and picked up a small moleskin notebook to keep note of stories I wished to write and a basic journal of events for posterity. I made it back to my hostel before too late and retired to my large empty room with only my thoughts and notebook to keep me company. I'd be traveling south once my consciousness was lost to sleep and the new day came forth. Travel is an interesting thing. When you start out, the sights are what you look forward to. After you get to the country, you realize the culture is what is fascinating. Finally, once you settle into your hostel hotel and start talking to others, you find people are the reason travel is so worthwhile. The locals are the best. They are the ones who know the history of their city. They know what to see and what not to. And they are real. No bullshit, just everyday people living their lives in which we, the tourists, are only fleeing. A close second to the locals, as far as interesting goes, are the other travelers. They are the ones with the amazing stories to tell because they are living their adventure. Whether that adventure is one of world travel, or crisscrossing all over the place, or if it's living in a new country for a few months, the idea of someone uprooting themselves for a dream and adventure will always move our gears of interest and intrigue. After arriving to Prague, I was stunned. The city is massive, and it seems like every square inch is covered in beautiful architecture ranging from the darkest Gothic to the elegant Baroque. With only a vague idea of how to get to my budget hostel, I took off with sparkling eyes. It felt like I was walking through a film set of black buildings with high points and the statues looking medieval in their form. Walking through the old town square, I was engulfed by the overpowering architecture. The atmosphere was one of a different time. I stopped at the large astronomical clock and stood admiring at the gold circles with statues painted beautifully adorning the face of the giant. Continuing along, I passed under a tall black gate tower with green roof pointing to the sky in its gothic way. The Charles Bridge is as stunning as everyone says it is, with the statues rising from its long-standing stones and street artists pocking the distances between them, playing all manner of instruments and painting on canvas. Leaning against the edge of the bridge, I looked out over the city with its red-tinted roofs standing magnificent against the beautiful blue sky of the day, and thought of the wonder of the Czech people and the grandeur of the people of Prague live in every day. I made it to the open square next to St. Nicholas Church and took a deep breath. It was relieving to be out of the claustrophobic mess of tourists and street peddlers bombarding my every turn since I had arrived in the busy metropolis. After checking in, I made my way to the room, expecting to see the same kinds of people I had been meeting the entire trip. Young people my age with grand but exhaustingly similar stories of travel. The magnetic key I was given wouldn't work, so I knocked on the door hoping someone was inside. There is an unintelligible response followed by loud clicking, then the door swung suddenly open and a short Asian man with gray hair and wooden sandals was already walking away from the entrance. Thanking him, I walked into the first room which was part kitchen, part bathroom, and had two beds lining the opposite wall. With sore shoulders, I threw my backpack onto an empty bed in the large second room and began unpacking. Where are you from? The small man had clicked into my room, surprisingly quiet, and was looking down at me with interest. America, how about you? I learned along the trip it is better to play ignorant than assume someone is from a certain country. I'm from Japan. I am traveling the world four years now. The English he spoke was quite good, but his enunciation of certain words were overly strong while others slipped beneath. Wow, I replied impressed. Why have you been traveling for so long? 
I worked in the government for many years, and when wife died, I had no reason to stay in Japan. I retired and started traveling. My retirement pays for my travels. The progression of responses made me think he had been asked this question so many times before. That's a pretty great system, getting paid to travel. How much longer are you going to travel? My goal is to visit the capital of each country in the world. I have been to many, but there are many countries in the world. The man hadn't moved much since we began talking. Sometimes he would alter his stance and put pressure on a different foot, but overall it seemed like he enjoyed standing. That is quite an impressive goal. Have you been traveling with those wooden sandals the whole time? I couldn't resist asking about his footwear. They didn't seem comfortable, and I couldn't imagine wearing them all over the world. Yes, they are called Gita, and they are traditional to my country. I wear them everywhere I go. The man took one of the sandals off and showed me how rigid the wood was and the leather thong on top which fit his foot just right. The man with the wooden sandals and I talked for a while about where he had been and where his next country was to be. It was amazing how different his attitude was from all the other travelers I had met, myself included. Everyone before him was frothing with excitement at telling a stranger where they had been and what they had done in hopes the stranger could be benefited from or impressed by their nomadic frolicking around the world. The man with the wooden sandals was different. The man was modest, almost beyond so. Never did he boast about the dozens of countries he had been to. In fact, it was only after much prying that I get him to talk about any of the places he had been in depth. After talking more and more, he showed me the pack he was traveling with and the sheer frugality of personal items within. Only basic toiletries, a small tablet, a few clothes, and a journal had been all he had carried for years now. The man reminded me of some kind of modern-day monk traveling for enlightenment. Not on a path through traditional religious enlightenment, but a path down spiritual enlightenment with new experiences and new things being the guiding light. Maybe that is why we all travel, at least all of us westernized travelers who seek something more than parties and sexual flings. I knew my reason for travel had morphed into a kind of quest to be totally away from my normal path. To not have to abide by any rules and to be free to do whatever I wanted, whenever I wanted. To wander the streets of the cities of the world and try to shed my tourist aura as much as possible and see the culture for what it is. A normal way of life in a different part of the world. That night I went out and walked the streets of Prague. I saw the tourist attractions, stopped by an astronomical clock to celebrate its 605th birthday, saw the throngs of young people in skimpy dresses and button-up shirts looking for the next big party on a Friday night, while the Japanese man in the wooden sandals kept popping into my head. The trip he was on pervaded my every thought that night and the next two days spent in Prague. The simplicity with which he traveled inspired me and made me want to shed all of my previous thoughts of how backpacking through Europe should be. Over the weekend, our room was filled with three Russian guys in their mid-twenties and three girls the same age from Ukraine. All of us would talk and they invited me to club with them, but they would look down at the Japanese man with sneers and laugh at his wooden shoes. Not once did they ask him his story, or even try to understand where he was coming from. I declined their invitation and stayed in a small hotel riding late at night after exploring the city during the day alone and with walking tours. While on the train still further south of the next city after two days in Prague, I thought back on my time in the great city. I was glad to have wandered through her streets and have seen those buildings, but that felt secondary to the comparison of those young people I met with only hollow travel adventures next to the man who was totally alone in his world, his own ambitions. Leaving Prague, I was content for many reasons, but the main was wrapped up in meeting the man with the wooden shoes and wondering where he is in the world. I started calling myself a writer in Chesky Bodejovic, a town about two and a half hours south of Prague by train. The idea of being a writer has always fascinated me. In fact, I almost committed to an English major in college, but decided to get a degree in biology instead. I figured I can read the same books and write as much as someone in college can without a degree and still put out my own books. That logic is correct, but the truth of the matter is quite different. When writing, 
or participating in any form of art for that matter is not your primary focus like being a professional with it, it becomes easy to put on the back burner and not touch it for a long while. I was intent on changing that as the trip went on. I had my journal open and my pen flowing sporadic across the pages jotting down ideas for writing projects as a train pulled into the small station. I was relieved by how few people there were. Prague was congested at every corner with tourists and locals alike trying to get to where they wanted to go at all costs. Chesky Budajovic felt different, but not only because of the size. Only 100,000 people strong, but mostly because of the accents. In so many of the large cities in Europe, the first accents I heard were normally some variation of English. Whether they be American, Australian, or from England, the words would float around the rafts of people and pollute the feeling of being in a new place. The atmosphere of the city felt different. The still being early and only a short walk to my hostel, I took my time to meander up and down the alleys and walk into bookstores and small cafes. Soon I found myself at the edge of the old town center. The multicolored buildings formed a perfect square all around the large area with some bright yellow, others pink and situated in a corner of the square. The town hall painted a beautiful baby blue and built in the Baroque fashion. In the center of the square sat a large fountain depicting Samson and his lion. Beautifully ornate, it is the largest fountain in the Czech Republic. Passing through the square, I turned down a curved alley and saw the sign from my hostel. Before I made it to Europe, I had a picture in my head of what a hostel would be like. A bar or a restaurant on the first floor with rooms on the second. This hostel completed the image. Opening the door, I was greeted by a woman behind a traditional bar who spoke next to no English. We tried to have the check-in conversation, but it was going nowhere fast. Soon a large man with a beard came to help us. I paid for my two nights, and he showed me to a part of the wall opposite the bar which was hidden the door, or at least hidden from my view. We ascended the stairs and came to an open room which split into two hallways. We took the left and came to a good-sized dorm room with three bunk beds, a desk, and a bathroom to the side. The man, who I came to know as Jean, told me no one had made reservations, so I had more than likely had the room to myself for the next couple of days. Jean left, and I was alone once again in a large dorm room in a different European town. I unpacked my things and went back outside looking for a grocery store. I found all the essentials a writer would need when hunkering down for multi-day writing bender. Beer, energy drinks, and plenty of salty snacks. As the light outside my window began to wane, the bar below my bed was beginning to come alive. I heard people drinking at the bar, drinking in the room further into the establishment, and drinking next to the stacks of firewood situated against a large fireplace crackling warmly. Jean came out from the smoke-filled room and asked if I wanted to join him for a drink, but I said, no thanks, I asked Ryan to catch up on, and went back to my cold room. After a quick microwave meal, I opened a tall can of cheap beer and began to work on a novel. I had called myself a writer, and writing is what I was to do. The words flew from my fingers at an astonishing rate. Taking sips from the beer can fueled my creativity, and the laughs and yells in different languages below me set the mood and the world felt right. Most of that first night was spent writing. The same with the next morning into the afternoon. Feeling guilty about not leaving the warm room, I took a long shower and made my way down the stairs to explore more of the city. Jean gave me a tourist map and suggested places I should go, and I left with the blue skies complimenting the painted architecture of the city. After a couple of hours of wandering and a pint of the original Budweiser Boudoir, which makes the city name famous, I hurried back to the hostel to continue itching the writing bug which now pervaded my thoughts. Like before, I walked into the bar with a laughter in the smoke and Jean pleaded me to join him for a drink, and I agreed, but first, I have to write. I spent the next three hours in a type-infused haze with words leaking from the pores of my fingers at a burning rate. With my head hurting from the concentration, I made my way down the stairs, bought a beer, found a tall table next to the raging fireplace and scribbled it in my notebook. 
Before I could finish my beer, the lady behind the counter who couldn't speak English came over with a shot of a brown liquid and pointed to Jean in the corner. I looked over and he raised his hand in a cheers and we drank together from across the room. Soon I was at his table with three other men of massive size with beards just as bulky and we drank more shots and more beers until finally it was last call. And we all hugged like grown men do and I stumbled up the stairs. The bus south left in the afternoon and I was glad to have party with a room full of Czechs, and I reveled in them calling me the American. The morning came with a ferocity and a pain filled my head from whatever foreign liquor John and his friends decided to imbibe in from the night before. A long shower and an energy drink curbed the pain and I soon packed my things and descended the narrow stairs to check out. The entire bar was black with chairs stacked without a soul around only the smell of old beer and wood smoke left to remind me of the night before. I placed my key in the bin outside and trekked on for food. After some last-minute meandering to take in the feel of the quaint little town, I made my way to the bus headed south and within an hour and a half we were in the charming hollow of Chesky Krumlov. The city was like walking through a postcard with a castle perched atop a hill and an architecture looking like a medieval movie. The postcard city was also quite small and walking around the entire old town district took less than an hour in which I found my hostel and was greeted by a wonderful woman who showed me to my room. Within minutes, I was back into the marvelous little town exploring here and there, taking in the autumn air and loving the way the fog hung low around the castle and the pink church. Once night engulfed the scenery and cold rain began to fall, I retreated back to my hostel and met my two roommates. They were two friends who had met at Oktoberfest, one was from Australia and the other from New Zealand. They were young guys and wanted a drink, so we ran to a nearby market, bought cheap beer and spent the rest of the night talking about Australian football, rugby, and how American football was full of weak men and overstuffed pads. The night went long, and once we were done, the single beds in the small dorm room were welcoming. The following day was spent writing, followed by exploring the area outside the tourist-filled old town while the rain would come and go. The ambiance of the small town fueled the creativity brewing in my brain so well, and my two roommates asked me what I'd do, and I would tell them, I'm a writer, and they would nod their heads and simply say, cool. Working on the novel was rewarding, but the acceptance of what I was doing in Europe began soaking its way into my psyche. I was living a kind of bohemian traveler's dream, with my only goal for the next couple months being to photograph the beauty I saw, write about the experiences I had, and travel to any destination I desired. There is no real long-term goal for the photos or the writings. The only thing that mattered was to live in the moment and do exactly what I wanted to do each day. The day ended in a quaint traveler's restaurant in the middle of the old town with a large mug of pilsner, a warm fire drying my scarf and jacket and my journal open with the possibility of the upcoming adventures. I would be in a new country the next morning, and a new one the following day, and a new one the third, and the notion of fast travel overtook me, so I was taking a drink from the tall beer, and some dribbled down my shirt, and I couldn't help but laugh out loud. Everyone in the restaurant was in the midst of their own travels, and they didn't care. There is not a care to be had anywhere, in that dim pub with a crackling fire and cold beer drank from large glasses. Life was good. End of chapter.